it's a beautiful story. And uh, by the way, we've just seen a bunch of graduates finish the TZN program in Danoon just two weeks ago. A whole bunch of people did the course. And that happened because uh, a bunch of our people about three years ago literally uh, built some relationships, connected, and we've been able to see people find employment um, through the, the sort of work and teaming of this congregation. To reiterate what Nick said, we just release you. If this, if, if for example, maybe just learning to give regularly to the local church on a monthly basis is a stretch at the moment, or if finances and stuff is just in a tricky space, we just joyfully release you. For those whoever who are going, this is a great opportunity to give, and I do have some store, hey, please do consider pledging. It's just a great way for us to be able to continue partnering and being a part of what God's doing in and uh, through this church and the wider church in Cape Town, and just to enjoy uh, partnership in the, in the gospel. Does that sound cool? Okay, can you reach someone next to you to just elbow them, make sure they're awake? Okay, good. Okay, so um, some good family news to kick us off. I think it's always good to have a bit of family news. There it is. We, uh, you, you're going to pick up a common thread, and there is a surprise in our family news. We have a new dog. His name is Max. Give him a round of applause, everybody. We have been very unexcited about getting a dog, but when the possibility of Max came up, our hearts have just melted towards this dog. So what's the common thread? Anybody pick it up? Blonde. I mean, how about that, eh? I just don't do anything but blondes. It's just blonde everywhere. What's the, un- what's the surprise? Yoo-hoo, it's a boy. So there are two males in our family, but we have remained as blonde as ever. So welcome to the family, Max. We um, got him Friday evening, and so like every time we're out, we're wondering, how's Max doing? We hope he's okay. So we will hang out, and uh, as Tawanda invited us to come have coffee, but half of us will be going, I hope he's okay. So uh, it has been um, quite a crazy experience. I think he has... Um, attention overload syndrome right now. This poor dog is just being followed and told what to do, whether it makes sense or not. No, Max. Yes, Max. Go, Max. Stay, Max. This poor thing is absolutely overloaded. So uh, it's fun nonetheless. How's your listening? Are you a good listener? Don't, don't answer me, because you can give me the pastor answer. Ask, answer if the person who you live with or a family member were to answer, how's you're listening. I do not want to let Nikki up onto the stage right now to answer that question on my behalf. I don't want to know how my listening is. But maybe another question is, do you want to hear from God? Would you like to hear from God? And, 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 and again, I don't want the pastor answer. I, I don't want you to kind of nod to me necessarily. It's cool. I'm stoked if you do. But I want to know, do you really want to hear from God? I, I, I know that it, it could be easy to kind of answer yes, but let's say your sibling who really annoys you is with you, and you guys talk honestly, and he goes, do you want to hear from God? What are you going to say to that person? Well, you can just speak honestly and go, I don't know, maybe, yes, no, I don't know. I, I don't know what your answer to that question would be, but I'd like to suggest that we live in a world that many people might not want to hear from God. They might nod to the pastor. Yes, I want to hear from God because that's the right answer. You know, I know all the right answers to the pastor. But we live in a world where there was a study done of thousands and thousands of Americans. And basically, America, uh, you get your surveys there, but it makes sense of most of the culture that we live in. It's very similar. 
And the questions were, uh, the survey was done around the, the kind of view that your average Western person has of God. What do they think God is like? What does God want from us? What does God expect for us? Basically, who is God in our world? And Christian Smith did a survey, and he came up with this diagnosis, that most Western Americans have a view of God that turns them into moralistic, therapeutic deists. I know, that's a strange word. Moral, therapeutic deists. Let me explain that. This is, these are the five things that he came up with that he discovered in his survey that most people view Christianity as. Firstly, there is a God who, uh, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay, that's the first kind of view of a moral therapeutic deist. The second one is that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Thirdly, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Interesting. These are the outcomes of this survey. Fourthly, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And then fifthly, good people go to heaven when they die. That sounds very familiar, right? Whether you agree with some of these or whether you know of many people, this is often the common view of Christianity. Some of you may be looking at me going, what's wrong with that? That looks like Christianity. The answer is, that's not Christianity. That, that, that creates an insipid, distant God who's kind of semi-interested in our lives, especially when things aren't working out for us and we aren't feeling super happy. But, but that's not the God described in the scriptures. That's not the kind of God you want to listen to. That's the kind of God you only want to hear when things are tough or your life's not working out. And, and that isn't what we're going to look at today. We're picking up in this beautiful journey of Mark, and Mark has been walking us through. And, and in some ways, Peter is the main character of the story of Mark. Most theologians will agree that when Mark is writing this book, this account of Jesus' life, it's very likely that Peter is dictating it to him. So Peter's telling his experience of the life of Jesus. So that's why you get so many details of, of Peter in the book of Mark. And so this is a moment where, again, we've seen for the last few uh, days in the story and the last couple of weeks as we've been preaching is that Peter has been quite a central figure. First, uh, we've got this moment where Peter, in a high point moment, looks at Jesus and it's a really difficult moment, by the way. In Jewish tradition at that time, you would not just blunt blurt out, you are the Messiah. You were putting your head on a the block there. You were taking a real risk to say to a person, you are the Messiah, because you're making a claim that already you know the Pharisees and you know the Sadducees and all the teachers of the law are going, he's not the Messiah. But Peter looks him in the eyes after a whole bunch of journeying and listening and watching and participating in the life of Jesus, and he goes, you are the Christ. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you are right. He, he affirms what he's saying. But what I love about Peter is that his life journey is just one beautiful roller coaster. Because not long after that, we saw last week, uh, Jesus goes and starts teaching about his death. And good old Peter pulls him aside and he goes, no man, that's not going to happen. You're not going to die. 
And there's this beautiful exchange, and Jesus goes, hey, get behind me, Satan. I am going to die, and that's part of my purpose on earth. And then he goes, and he teaches the discipleship sort of teaching of, you're actually going to need to deny yourself. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to feel costly. It's going to mean that you, you deny yourself. There's going to be lots and lots of moments that maybe they don't lead to your physical death, but there'll be moments, many of them, where it feels like you're dying to your preferences and your desires so that you can find and follow and enjoy Jesus. And so Peter has had this high point moment where he sees the Christ, then he kind of goes to a low point where he doesn't really get him, and it sounds familiar, right? I hope it does. I hope you're honest enough to go that your journey with Jesus is sometimes a little stop-starty. You get it, then you don't. You wake up having good days and bad days. Your faith is strong, then it has some, some wobbles. So six days later, we see that Jesus now takes a few people up a mountain, and they go on a journey. They go for a walk a hike. We went hiking the other day. We've had two hikes in the last two weeks. The first hike, we went with no jerseys up the Constantia Neck. I was the only one who packed a jersey. Three little kids and Nick's. No one else had a jersey. It was when it's sunny in Bloberg, don't assume it's sunny on the other side of the mountain. And we shivered our way up, and I had like two kids shivering down. But we were in a cloud for most of the walk. And when you see the cloud reference, unlike our walk, when you're in a cloud in the scriptures, You're in the presence of God. It always symbolized the presence of God. We weren't necessarily feeling like we were in the presence of God. We needed the presence of a jacket. But that's the the symbol here. And so you get to see this beautiful journey. And so we're going to watch as Jesus takes his disciples up a mountain. And he's going to experience something. They're going to experience something of who God really is. So let's read. We're in Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So... They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written uh, of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Sometimes they feel like a a book of things that are hard to make sense of. But today I pray that they would be seen to be what they really are, the story of God making sense of our lives. And I pray that we would have you make sense of our lives with the help of your spirit. If you want to take a moment, say, God, help me to understand your word today. And maybe you even want to say, God, would you speak to me? Just under your breath, God, would you speak to me? We pray this in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Okay, so how's your listening? And how's your listening to God? So we got this moment, and I think it's one of the crunch line moments. There's a few things going on, and I'm going to try to explain that. But one of the crunch line moments here is that right at the end uh, of the, the little moment where God speaks out of the cloud, he says this, listen to him. Maybe God said other things, but this is what stuck out to Peter. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's quite interesting. Now, Peter had had some serious wax in his ears up until this point. He, he struggled to listen. He really wanted to dictate to God, Jesus, who he should be and how he should behave. And so Jesus takes him up a mountain and in one beautiful moment pulls a lot of wax out of those ears. And he gets him listening. He gets him to see something. Now, I realize that in some ways, for us to read this for the first time, it's just going to be, it's quite difficult to understand why this was so powerful in the life of Peter. We, we didn't grow up in Israel. We didn't grow up studying the Torah and understand all the prophetic promises. We didn't grow up kind of submerged in this messianic expectation that someone would come who would bring about the kingdom of God. So we're kind of reading this a little bit cold, and we all woke up on a you know, slightly chilly morning and didn't expect that we were going to need to get into this stuff. But it's really important, because what I want to do here is bring us into some Jewish language, some Jewish expectation that hopefully will help us to clear the wax, see why the wax was cleared out of Peter's ears, and then hopefully clear the wax out of our ears as we also pursue an experience of hearing God. So I want to suggest three things that were mind-blowing moments for Peter as he grew his revelation of what happened on that mountain so that we too can have a, an understanding. So Peter is amazed, and he writes later, and he says this moment in another part of his writings. He talks about it, and he's, he speaks so highly that he saw the glory of God. They go up this mountain, and they see Jesus white and shining. Well, what was so amazing about this encounter with Elijah and Moses speaking? Let me suggest three things that ripped the wax out of Peter's ears, and then hopefully we'll have some context to take some wax out of our own. I'll stop using that analogy now. You're tired of hearing about wax and ears. First amazing thing for Peter that started to get the wow factor on his face was that in this moment, he was being taught that Jesus transcends Moses and he fulfills the law. He transcends Moses and he fulfills the law. Let me try to explain that. Simply this, that in the Jewish expectation, Moses was the great law bringer. He was the one who brought about this powerful exodus. He took the people of Israel out of Egypt who were under the slavery of the Egyptians, who were being oppressed and awfully treated, and Moses takes them out of Egypt into the land, uh, the, uh, the promised land filled with milk and honey, the beautiful space. And it's right in the beginning of that story that Moses goes up a mountain and is covered in a cloud, and he receives the Ten Commandments, this beautiful law that begins to coach the people of God how to be different from the nations around him, how to show the world who God is and what he's like, how to show the world what loving God really looks like, that to love God is to actually love the world right, is to actually even love yourself right, put God first and everything else aligns. And this is what happens in this beautiful time on the mountain. Moses is the first one. And the Jewish people expected that a, a, a better Moses would arrive. 
a true Moses would come, a Messiah who would bring about a true exodus. Because to be honest with you, although Moses took them into the promised land and although Moses got the law, the Jewish nation never materialized how they hoped. And they were perpetually waiting for the true and better Moses to come about and to bring the true kingdom that they were waiting for. And so when they're up on this mountain in the cloud and Moses is there, this is a profound moment for any Jewish guy to go, whoa, Jesus is dictating to Moses. And you know one of the things that they say in Luke about this account? It says they discussed the exodus that was to come. In most of your English translations, it'll say they spoke about his departure. But the word for for, for departure is actually exodus. Most theologians would agree that this means that Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah about the exodus that he's about to perform. The profound couple of days ahead where Jesus, in his glory and his power, is going to die on a cross and he is going to ransom humanity and bring about a new kingdom for God that will bring about the new heavens and the new earth. It's the beginning of the end. He is going to defeat the powers just like God defeated the powers in Egypt. Now there is going to be a new and more profound defeat that is going to bring people into the presence of God. And this is what he's discussing. Jesus discussing with Moses means he is standing and he is the new and better Moses. Then there's also Elijah. And there's this second thing that Peter would have looked at and gone, really? Is he talking to Elijah? What what could that possibly mean? It means that Jesus doesn't just transcend and fulfill Moses and uh, and the law. He transcends and fulfills Elijah and the prophets. He is better than. He is the true prophet. He is the fulfillment of all prophetic expectations. You see, only Moses and Elijah went up this amazing mountain. If you look at the whole Old Testament, it's these two characters who went up what's called Mount Horeb. And most people are certain that Jesus too walked up Mount Horeb in this amazing transfiguration moment. These three figures walked up this mountain, one to get the law, the other to hear the voice of God. And Elijah has this really amazing encounter with God, and God takes him up the mountain, and Elijah is having a tough time because Jezebel's after him and wants to take his life, and he's running for his life. And in 1 Kings 19 verse 9, God says, what are you doing here? And he says, I've been trying to serve you. I've been zealous for God Almighty. But am I the only one left, he says? And now they're trying to kill me too. This prophet is, is kind of fleeing for his life. Sound familiar? They're trying to kill me too. Up on the mountain, talking about the Exodus. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And you may know the story where a a wind comes past and God is not in the wind. A a powerful earthquake and God's not in the earthquake. An amazing big fire comes through and God is not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood in the mouth of the cave. Here you've got Jesus coming and fulfilling this prophetic expectation that a true Elijah would come. He would stand on a mountain and he too would be the the fulfillment of the prophets. I get it. It's pretty tricky for us to get. It is because we haven't been submerged in all this stuff. But, But for Peter, as he reflects, he's going, whoa, this all happened. True and better Moses. True and better Elijah. There's one more. It's the true and better son of man. 
Daniel chapter 7, we see this beautiful encounter with uh, Daniel, who's the, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, who also expects that God would bring a new kingdom through one he keeps calling the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And Jesus refers to himself often in that Daniel fashion as the Son of Man. And here, on the mountain, the cloud comes over, and amazingly, the Father says, this is my beloved Son. And he's in this cloud. Listen now to Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Wow. And the father calls Jesus my son. So I get it. It's a little bit like, where's all this stuff going? But in Peter's mind, it was weaving together and going, wow, Jesus is the true and better prophet Elijah. He's the true and better law in Moses. And he is the fulfillment of this son of man who's going to bring about the kingdom. And his eyes are starting to grow. This is the, the ideal emoji for what's going on in Peter. He's suddenly going, whoa, it's happening. He really is the Messiah. I try to change his mind. He's taken me up a mountain, and now I'm listening. He's got his ears open, and God is starting to speak. I hope God starts to speak to you. I hope he's already speaking to you. I hope you've had moments in your life where you've heard him. I don't honestly think that a Christian should live their life without experiencing God speaking. And, and, and this is what God is trying to call Peter to. He says, listen to him. You should read the Gospels. I hope you do this. But when I read the Gospels, I pick a disciple, usually all of them, and I try to just sit in their shoes and imagine what it felt like to ask that question, to feel confused by that, to just be next to him and ask that question. I try to make my prayer life much the same as if I'm sitting next to Jesus and I'm talking about what's going on and either I've got questions or I've got awe or I've got uh, stuff I just need to share, but my prayer life is though I'm sitting like a disciple with the Messiah. And this is what's happening for them. And Jesus starts to show his glory, his majesty. He is the God-man. And now Peter is listening. The very father has spoken over the son, his great pleasure. And now he is preparing the son. Hey, Jesus knew the cross was coming. But he's getting all the resources he needs to move towards the cross. Mountaintop moments are often for that very reason. When you have a moment with God and he speaks to you, it's often because he's doing a little more. He's doing something fresh. He's calling you into a new season or a new whatever, a new sense of courage, a new time of following him, or he's just refreshing your sense. That could happen every day, by the way. The point is, is every time we hear God, it's because God is trying to set us up for more of what he's got planned for us. I want to suggest to us, as we pursue hearing God, that we begin to want to know what the voice of God sounds like. I want to suggest three simple applications. First one is this. Tomorrow's mountaintops start today. Tomorrow's mountaintops start today. Look at the first, first little verse I read. After six days. It's really important, by the way. After six days. What happened six days ago? Six days ago, he looked at Jesus and said, you are the Christ. 
Apart, apart from every other disciple, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ. A terrifying, vulnerable moment that no one else had had the courage or the faith to say, he looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ. He risked a little. He stepped out from the pack and he started to see with the eyes of faith who God was and he said it with his mouth. And his actions meant that he was at risk. But what a beautiful thing. Because six days later, God honors his faith by taking him up a mountain to show that that little bit of mustard seed faith was absolutely all he needed to see the glory and the beauty of God. Isn't that magical? Hey, if you want your mountaintop tomorrow, just follow Jesus today. Start with some simple and some basic faith today. Simply just begin to follow him. Take any kind of faith step in following him. I don't know what it may look like, but I think that might help if you just think of this next point. Start with following Jesus anywhere. Second thought, start with following Jesus anywhere. I think of our life group chat that we had recently. We were, um, we were talking about faith, and we were talking about following Jesus, and, and, and some of us were feeling a little frustrated. We were chatting just on Wednesday night, and some of the guys were going, it's quite annoying. Like, I want faith, but I actually don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to do this thing of faith. It's really difficult. And we actually all came to the conclusion that faith wasn't that difficult. We were quite annoyed that it was actually too easy. We all nodded our heads when we realized God hasn't made it too hard. He sometimes made it too easy. You see, to have faith is simply to go, well, why don't we start by reading Matthew chapter 5 and just work our way through it? Because we were talking about in our life group, we said, you know, we all struggle with apathy. A lot of the guys in our group are going, yeah, apathy and comparison. I often look at the guys around me who've achieved more or less, and I'm trying to find my worth in that. And, and some of us are going, I don't read the scriptures enough. And there was one other one, materialism. Some of the guys in our group are going, you know what, if I just earned more uh, and owned more, I'd probably be a bit happier. And those were the four things that just keep popping up in our life group. And we chatted about them. We said, well, what does faith look like in the face of these things? How do I hear God? We decided, what if we just opened our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we just slowly went through by faith? We slowly went, okay, why do I worry about tomorrow when tomorrow's got enough worries of its own? And why do I store up treasures on earth which moth and rust destroy? Huh? Materialism. Jesus spoke about it. I just need to apply it. I just need to read it and then go, Jesus, help me to do this. Actually, not that hard. Uh, comparison, I think of this lovely passage. I literally went through Matthew chapter 5 to go, is there anything that speaks to all of these things? And the answer was yes, absolutely. Um, I think of comparison where it says, um, you try to keep up with people. He says, don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Why, why are we trying to impress people? Who are we trying to impress? Just go serve your father in the, in the quiet place and let him who loves you speak his words of affirmation over you. Here's the thing. It's not that we don't want to hear God. It's that sometimes we just don't create enough space to hear him. To slow down enough to actually go, here is 25 minutes for you, Jesus. And I'm going to switch off all the speed and pace of my busy life and my busy mind. And I'm just going to read Matthew chapter 5. And I'm just going to consider for today that you clothe the flowers and you clothe the birds. And then you say, how much more will you clothe me? And I'm just going to sit in that. 
And today I'm going to believe that you actually care about me and you're a provider. You walk by faith. You just trust that. You don't just blur it all into nothing and go, you know what, who needs a a devotional life? You need a devotional life. You need faith to just walk with him anywhere. That's what the beautiful next line, it says, he led them. Sorry, stay, stay back there. He led them. He just takes you one step at a time. Just one step into the next thing that he's coaching you in. Does it make sense? Just follow him. You want to hear his voice? Just follow him in the next step, wherever he'll take you. And then final thought is this, is that I would encourage you to go climb your own mountains of encounter. Go climb your own mountains of encounter. That's to reiterate, I suppose, what I've said, that actually we just go read the Bible each day. But reading the Bible isn't enough. If you don't have faith that you're actually getting to God, that you want to meet with God. And, and you don't just read the Bible because your pastor tells you to read the Bible. You, you, you read the Bible because it's part of your endeavor to know God's voice, to know that he is a good shepherd and, and his sheep hear his voice, says Jesus. And we want to be the kind of people who walk with him, who listen out for his whispers. That's why for me, I've got a kind of daily, weekly, monthly, and annual routine of trying to be with and hear God. Daily, I just want to be with him for a couple of minutes a day. If you've got kids under the age of five, you know that just getting 20 minutes is a miracle, but you fight for it, and you do everything you can to get your 20 quiet minutes to read that Jesus cares, and he's with you, and he continuously has words over your life, and you hold on to them all day long. Then you've got weekly, where maybe weekly you have one spoil moment where you actually climb a proverbial mountain. Maybe you walk in the forest, you walk on the beach, you take the scriptures with you, and you take some time to really prioritize being with God. Maybe monthly you bump it up a little. You go, actually, every four weeks, I do climb a mountain. I get up that mountain, I get onto that beach, I do something that really says, God, I'm with you, and I take my journal, and I I listen out because I want to be with him. Maybe annually, you actually take a night and two days, and you take a retreat, and you, you, you hide out somewhere that's cheap and available, and you go there to just be with God because you want to hear His voice daily, weekly, monthly, you're prioritizing. And, and you know what? What I find is if you have daily, weekly, monthly rhythms, He doesn't always speak to you in those moments. He waits for an organic moment where He takes what He was putting you in that kind of plan time. And he ties it into some like, organic moment. And suddenly your story for the day or something in your life feeds into those regular times that you've just been building, brick after brick after brick. And suddenly you realize that that was the house that was being built for this situation or this scenario. And God fills it with his words. Something I used to do, and this is my landing thought, is that I used to live on uh, Devil's Peak. It's where we take the kids um, sometimes for a climb, behind uh, Frederhook, basically, on the left. And we used to cl- I used to climb that mountain before I was married to Nix, and uh, basically for 10 years lived on that mountain, would climb straight up the top of it. And uh, it was one of my sweetest times. I, I knew, as you read the Bible, Jesus would climb mountains, be by himself, and I got to sit under this one lone tree. Those of you who know those trails know that one lone tree that just leans up over the bottom of Devil's Peak, and it looks straight up the West Coast. And I used to pray, praise God, use me. Let's fill this city. Let's change the world. Let's do something radical in your name. Little did I know that I was looking square 
into this auditorium. I was looking square into Tableview High School where we first started this congregation. I was looking square into the home we now live in. It was literally, if you just look from there straight up, the prayers I was praying there, God is still speaking and answering right now. He's still doing this stuff. He still honors those moments up in the mountain. And I know your life is busy, but we prioritize what we love. And whatever we want in our lives, I want to call us to prioritize that. That we allow God to pull the wax out of our ears and to begin to speak to us. I wonder if the band could come up and we're just going to take some time to sing. And I wonder if you would use this time of singing to slow yourself down a little. To maybe reflect on where do you need to have some moments of slowing so that he can speak. God doesn't, he's a gentleman. He sometimes shouts, but mostly when he shouts to, to break through, it's, it's in our pain. It's because we haven't listened when it hasn't been painful. So he, he uses our pain to wake us up. C.S. Lewis says God uses our pain to rouse a deaf world. He doesn't want to do that. He didn't have to do that in Jesus. In Jesus, he used just his life, his time, because he slowed down and went into the quiet place. I pray that you would Prioritize being with Jesus even when it's not tough, to, to let him whisper, to speak through his word, through his whispers. He spoke to Elijah through a whisper. Why are you okay to hear his voice? Why are you good enough? You're not. But Jesus went up an ultimate mountain, and he bore in himself the price that we should have paid. And it's in his Bearing upon himself the pain and the the wrath that should be upon our disobedient little lives, that means that we can climb that mountain. Shoulders back, free from guilt, and soak in his beautiful words over our lives. Let's pray. Maybe you can stand. Father, we are a people who I hope want to know you better. We are a people who I pray would at least pray the prayer. I don't know if I want to hear your voice, but today I ask that you would help me want it. I do think for the majority of us, we want your voice. And for many of us, it's a case of prioritizing the quiet, learning what to say no to. I pray even as we sing this song, you would give us perspective on our daily routines. You'd give us perspective on our media intake. You'd give us perspective on our um, distractibilities. You'd help us to see that you have given us enough time in every day to have some of it dedicated to knowing and being with you, to enjoying you and listening out for you, to seeing you in your glory. We may not see the transfiguration the first time, but we know, God, that we will see your glory as we trust you today as we follow you to wherever you take us. Lord, as we sing, we, I love the concept, the thought that we sing together. We sing wanting to be brothers and sisters, a family who help each other to see you, who share our lives, who share our ideas. Some are ahead, some are doing better than others. And we don't do that to show off, we do that to encourage and spur each other on towards love and good deeds, towards knowing our King. We sing because together, We need you. Let's sing.